Hi everyone, Josh and Ryan here. Welcome back to the Supercent Podcast, the personal development podcast hosted by the youngsters for once. Research shows if you put a hundred random people in a room, somewhere amongst them, there will be just two truly incredible, inspirational people who are living their lives to the fullest. In this podcast, we bring those exact people to you, week in and week out. Join us on our journey as we learn the secrets, routines and dreams of the Two Percenters. Today everybody, we're joined by Charlie Rodden. Charlie, thank you very much for coming along. No worries, thank you for inviting me on the podcast guys. Yeah, I'm very excited to get again. Welcome. Yeah, yeah it's going to be super good. Yeah. So, to start off with, we always just invite our guests to give a little bit of an introduction about yourself, what you've been doing with yourself these last year or two, and why we've brought you on. Okay, so I'm Charlie, and my background is that I've taken this year out of university to do a year enterprise, which means starting your own business for a year, and also working part-time alongside that. And I also pursue quite a lot of running, um, and that's been a growing passion of mine over the last few years. And my degree also involved studying abroad in Denmark six months, which was a really interesting and eye-opening experience as well. So that's part of the reason why I'm on this podcast. And I guess it's also because I'm friends with these two guys. <laughs> <laughs> that's what we told him anyway. To get. <laughs> so the main thing that really intrigued me, the one thing I wanted to speak to you about was this year in Enterprise, because... The listeners, I don't want to underestimate how big of a decision this was. So myself and Ryan this year yeah. are on placement, and so is pretty much everybody else in our business school at the university. And Charlie was doing very well, and he got to final stage interviews with some big companies. And you made this decision to basically reject them and said, you know what, I'm going to try and run my own business for a year. So that was a huge decision. Talk us through, how did you... How did you come to that decision? Because I know it wasn't easy. Well, for a long time, I pursued both paths. So I did both the year enterprise option and I applied for the interviews just to get a feeling of what both would involve. And that really helped me to understand the process and to get the interview experience I want to go into down the future. Uh, I spoke to about 10 to 15 people about the idea, got their input how, and saw how viable it could be. And I also kind of realized the kind of opportunity that I had right now, that I had the people around me, i.e. my parents and uh, the kind of university that could really offer me the support for the year. So I felt that I was in a really good position to go out and do it and just sort of see what it meant to be an entrepreneur rather than kind of live in this sort of, live in kind of being this person you want to be and actually go and do it instead. Can actually get started, yeah. But it was it was a big risk, wasn't it? Because you hadn't done before prior to that. It wasn't like you had something set up and you thought, "I'm going to try and bet this bigger." This was start from scratch, big risk. Yeah, I mean, it's a big risk, but it's not necessarily as big as it might be perceived, I guess. Because like, in the wider context of things, this is one year of your life. Mm-hmm. Um, you have countless years now, so to go out and take this year to really pursue what you think is your passion and your future is actually something that is really something you should, you should do and you should be able to take those risks even though I'm perhaps rejecting a career path or rejecting an opportunity to get myself a greater CV for the future that's okay because I feel like having these really niche and unique opportunities that I've had over this last year really set me apart from other candidates if I did want to pursue an interview or a consultancy role in the future yeah so you've, you've still got especially a lot with the support network yeah I've still got a lot to talk about and there's some in some areas perhaps even more um, because it stands out as oh he had the balls to do it so if he wanted to go and apply for it he does actually have that kind of oh look I did something I went out and tried it 
maybe it didn't work, maybe it did work. Here is where I am today. Mm-hmm. What was you touching on there, Ryan, with the support network? I was going to say, so especially with the support network around Loughborough, the kind of entrepreneurial community that is around the university. I don't, I don't know how many universities have a program like this, but there's not a lot, I, I would say. And I suppose in business, it's all about failing a lot. And you've kind of got a, a safety net there because, like you say, it's just a year. Yeah, yeah, you do have a um, safety net. And I feel that it's really good to have these other people also doing this enterprise that you can relate to, for one. Mm. And also having people at the university running their own businesses that you can go and speak to. Uh, they're really good when you're on the kind of um, just treading along or you're getting that kind of high point in your business. I wouldn't necessarily say as like an emotional safety net that that's good um, because a lot of that comes down to you being able to reach out to them, which can be quite difficult when you're hitting a low point. Right. Yeah. But definitely in terms of like, uh, like a high point or like just treading along, yeah, it's really great to have those people who are doing similar things and it's really kind of eye-opening to see what they're doing that you can then go and apply it to your own business as well. Sure. Okay, so let's get into the business itself. So tell, tell us about your idea. Give us, the, give us the sales pitch. Okay, so Posty is a business where we design and sell parcel boxes to place outside homes. So these parcel boxes allow you to receive parcels when you're not in. They use a slam lock mechanism, so you can leave it unlocked and receive a parcel code free. And you can also receive either one large parcel or two medium-sized parcels on the same day by using this middle insert that you can remove or put into the box. So we're currently in the third iteration of the design. Uh, it's looking pretty good. I actually went and met with a Barrett Developments uh, last Friday, which is pretty awesome. They're the biggest house build in the UK. They're like East Midlands division. And they were super keen on it. And there's some good conversations going from this. So it'll be really exciting to see where this goes and get it past the council planners. So it's essentially a safe that a consumer puts outside their house to prevent those, sorry, we missed you slips coming through your door. Yeah, that's exactly right. And it just provides you a lot of convenience. There's no more going down to the sorting office. And it actually saves you money in the long term. If you're driving to the sorting office, you're actually wasting quite a lot of of petrol. Um, So it's kind of a win-win more than anything else. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's not something you think about either, the the kind of cost that you know, going down to the post office, like you say, something you just sort of do because there's no alternative there, really. Yeah, that's definitely why. That's something else I explored in this year. I actually designed um, this JavaScript calculator where if you go on the website, www.post.co.uk, um, <laughs> you can actually use a calculator uh, which will work out how much money you can save by having a postie, which is like a really that's awesome great. Thing to do. I basically sat down for about eight to ten hours in one day. I had no knowledge of JavaScript before. And I had to go through and find out how different things worked. I had some help from some friends and we eventually came to like having this final thing that actually sent an email to you as you put in the results and it kind of added all the numbers together. So it was really awesome. So is that there on the website now? That is currently on the website. Yeah. Even though we're going B2B at the moment, that was part of the B2C process, but it's still currently live. Yeah. So guys, go check out the website, see how much money you'd save if you uh, installed a post outside your house. Yeah, go check it. I'll be interested to see it to be fair. Mm. Say so what, it depends on how many parcels you order and, and that sort of thing. Yeah, it does both money and time. So it's like how far away your sorting office is and what time's up by, say, if you drive, take the bus, or if you cycle. So it, maybe for some people, just walk. You're not going to save any money by doing it, but you'll save a lot of hours. Mm-hmm. And those hours really add up. There's, I think the average person was yeah. probably saving like 40 hours a year. I was like, well, okay, 
that's definitely part of your sales pitch to someone. Okay, cool. Yeah. How did you how did you come to that that decision, that business idea? Because I know you're similar to me, you have a lot of ideas whizzing around your head. But how did you commit to that specific one? Because, you know, saying in this politest way, it's it's not something that I would say is easy to get really excited about, like post post bots come into your house. Like people that entrepreneurs are like starting up like, oh, I really want I'm gonna quit my job and go start up a tech company or a vegan yeah, cat. Hasn't got the same. <laughs> yeah. So for you to say, you know what, I'm gonna really go crack this postage industry, it's I don't know, how did you come to that? Mm, so for me, there's two parts of why you do a business. It's whether you're going to solve a problem and to what extent you're doing that and to what extent is your passion. On this, I can't say I have much passion about parcel boxes, like you said, yeah. but there's a huge market need for it. And someone needs to solve this. And if it's going to be someone, I'd like to put my hat in the net and see if it comes out to be me. But for me, it was really, I had three ideas. One of them was involving running. Uh, so that was kind of drawing on the passion side more than anything else. Um, there was another one which was kind of another big problem as well. But for me, I felt that this one was the most um, tangible because I had my dad who works for a construction company and my stepdad who works in logistics. Mm-hmm. So I could combine their skills right, and okay. yeah. kind of work with product designers I already knew. And because I could bring the people around me to go and learn the parts, it would make it a lot easier. Yeah. So it was more of a feasibility perspective than anything. You thought this was a, a need and you had the network in place to, to give it a go, essentially. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think you've got to go through that process and understand how you can have those people, how you can either find those people or what people you already have to be able to apply to that business. Mm-hmm. I'm going to pick up on something you said about the JavaScript, but also the design stuff. Being a, being a business student, you don't kind of know that much about kind of design thinking and kind of computing as well. You said you've not done Java before. So from a personal point, how have you found being an independent business owner now, picking up things that you've not really tried before? How have you found that? Oh, yes. So it's been quite a rollercoaster. Like there's so much I don't know in business and there's so much I'm learning every day, which is really awesome. Uh, It can be quite frustrating at times when you want to do something Mm. yourself, but you have to either rely on someone else's skill or you have to go out and spend the time to learn it first. So that can be quite frustrating, but I feel like at this age, it's something you really need to do to get like a wider view of everything else. But because yeah, I'm working with some, some really, yeah, really awesome people, um, they're actually transferring a lot of skills to me, which is really cool as well. And that's really great to have that kind of opinion that they have in a product. So say these product designers, they follow a, quite a different path to how a business student would when it comes to product development. So working mm. with them and understanding their needs and combining it into like a business strategy is really kind of how you should do things when you set up a business. And on, on that sort of skill building and transferable knowledge, you are work like you said, you're working alongside a startup at the moment while you do your own startup. How beneficial has that been? Has it been um, has it been a burden or has it been a help? What have you seen that as? Okay, so my part-time work is being a marketing lead for a video production company mm-hmm. and over the last six seven months we've basically changed the entire strategy of the business we've gone from just offering one-off uh, video production services to offering a complete like video marketing package so that kind of process of kind of involving yourself in this whole strategy change and being like a really core part of that has been absolutely awesome because it's really helped me understand how he manages people like myself and how he brings in other people around him as well and it's also made me really appreciate the value of video and how 
when you have a professional and someone who's really, really good at it, like he is, it makes it really stand out. And I'm, I always, I always come away from it and I look at it, I'm like, wow, okay, that video is absolutely amazing. It, it starts off, um, we're just talking about storyboards and how the video can look and sort of how we can get people emotionally engaged. And then when you see the final product, you're like, okay, this guy's got some real skill. And so when you see that and you want to combine it with these two other parts, into this whole strategy, it's something that's really, really tangible. And I feel like that whole kind of vision that he has for his business allows you to have that kind of perspective on how you should do your own vision as well. Um, and combine that with his management of people, I've definitely learned a lot from that. And it also, as a third point, really, it makes it relatable. Like everything I go through personally with running my own business, he's already gone through. So mm. he can always relate when I come in the office and I'm like, oh God, I've just done this last yeah. week or... I'm feeling down or I feel really, really high on top of the world. He's actually one of the people I would call after I've had like a really sort of a great week or I've had like a really good interview with people. So that's, a, that's definitely a big part of it. And I think I'm really thankful to him for the opportunity. So is that something you, you would recommend if someone's looking to start their own business, you think it, it is beneficial to have, I guess from a safety point of view as well, to have uh, some work alongside it? Yeah, definitely. I think um, it gives you that financial freedom to invest your own money in your business. Like most, um, I've had a, uh, a grant from the university, luckily for my business, but also alongside that, I've put in a lot of my own money as well. And that has basically been allowed to happen because I've worked part-time. And that financial freedom has allowed me to be very flexible with timings. I'm not working for someone yeah. else's deadline. I'm kind of doing it on my own terms, which is really awesome. Um, and I'm not saying don't get investment. Obviously do if you know how to grow and you know your steps forward, but if you're still exploring like I am at this stage, it's really good to have that flexibility. Yeah. I want to pick up on the routine side of it. So at uni, being on placement now, looking back, it's a real different routine. A nine to five job, you, you get up, you go to work. For me, I've got an hour commute either side. And so it really extends the day. Whereas at uni, with lectures, you're much more independent. You're in charge of your own routine. And as a, a solopreneur now, as you as you have been for however long, and will be until the end of, from the end of the year, and potentially going forward as well, how have you found kind of managing yourself? Mm, I mean, it's quite it's quite complex. You want to build in things that are uh, fundamental to your routine. Like I see um, my health and my fitness is like a really baseline thing that I need to be able to function mm. in other areas. So I need to be doing the running. I need to be doing the gym work. I need to be eating well. And if I'm doing that and then I build on top of that, say I do the Monday, Tuesday, half of Wednesday work, that really sets me up well every week. So it means that I'm going to the office like 8.30 till um, 4.30, uh, getting up at like 7 Monday, Tuesday. So that really helps in terms of setting that routine each week and getting me back on schedule um yeah but it also means that when you get to doing your own um business you can be quite flexible as well so say if i've either done a race the day before or i'm feeling quite tired from doing a lot of running then i can kind of take a bit more in the, in the morning i can have until at nine and then get started uh, or if i've had to wait for certain things to happen and there's not that much necessarily going on as per se in your business then you can also take the time away to go and focus on a few other things as well i think for me it's like having main areas of like running part-time work and my own business that kind of always 
into play. Like there's always something that's positive. Say if two of them are going quite negatively, uh, one of them's going to be quite positive at the time. So it's only, it's very few, very, very little often that you get a, all three of them going badly. It's normally um, that one yeah. of them's going quite well. Unbalanced. And you can kind of lean on that to help you get your structure and balance for the week. Uh, I think we should pick up on that, um, like the personal ups and downs of your year this year, a bit later on after um, the next segment. But just for now, what would you say was the hardest challenge business-wise setting up a new, brand new product and business? I mean, there's been a lot. I think it's getting that first customer, which is the hardest part. And that's still something that I'm yet to do. It's having that first person that takes the risk for you mm-hmm. and says, you know what, yeah. I believe in your idea, I believe in your product, and I'm willing to go be like beyond my market capabilities and help you. I think that's really, really good. And you'll really be blown away by the amount of people that do want to help you in some way. Maybe it's not because they want to buy your product. Maybe they want to help you get market research. Maybe they want to help you um, look into certain areas of business. But if you just ask people, if you're confident enough and things are going well enough that you feel like you can, then you'll really get some positive results. And I definitely recommend people do that. But so one of the things that I remember, because I sort of check up on Charlie occasionally just to make sure he's not uh, down in the dumps in the, in the world of entrepreneurship. <laughs> but um, one of the things that you said to me was frustrating you was that uh, a lot of people are trying to help and they're giving you advice. But that can be quite frustrating when you, even though they're giving you advice, you still feel you're on your own and there's not much you can do with it potentially mm, yeah i think this is a big part about being a solopreneur as they say i think um you want to take people's advice when you can you want to bring it in and try and combine it with your own vision but it does come to a point when different people are telling you different things and you really don't know whose opinions are value and i think for that mm, you really want to right. find those that one or that two uh, people that are like your mentors that you can really rely on and lean on um, and not necessarily disregard everyone else's advice but don't rely on it as heavily as theirs I think that's perhaps the solution to that but I, if anyone can solve how much you should rely on the people's information versus your own then we're getting somewhere but that'll be a long time coming I think. <laughs> okay so I think now we're going to move on to a little segment that we've had a past and are going to try and have every episode the word association game title pending still not a very exciting name but what, what, what we've got for you is we've got 10 words and basically you've got i think we say normally a second to just literally think of whatever comes into your mind you just got to say it and we'll rattle through it and pick up on what your answers are and just have a chat about that for a little bit how does that sound that sounds good to me yeah looking forward to it all right that's nice one so uni Oh, roller coaster. <laughs> Entrepreneurship. Loneliness. Relationships. Demanding. Food. Fuel. Adventure. Spontaneity. Necessary. Evil, but I feel like I'm just completely that <laughs> sentence there. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Reading. Exercise. Every day, huh? <laughs> Umbrella. Market segments. Market segments. One answer. Lego. Uh, Denmark. All right, nice, nice. 
Okay, so I'm going to go back to the one that surprised me the most, which was Umbrella. Yeah. Market segments. <laughs> Please explain. <laughs> that threw me off. Let's go with that first. I think because um, having studied at uni, I'm seeing, um, it not it's not necessarily market segments, but it's like, it's brand uh, management. You know how you have like an umbrella brand and it manages where it's Okay, yeah. That's the first thing that came to my head. So That's interesting. Yeah, seeing that and... Seeing like um, Kraft Heinz managing all those brands, or seeing like um, all those other mm. companies, those conglomerates, yeah. You know, like Unilever, companies like that that have a lot of sub brands beneath yeah. them that generate billions and billions. Yeah. I mean, yeah. if that isn't a sign that Charlie's mind is whizzing around business all the time, <laughs> I don't know what yeah. is. I think perhaps 98% of people would have said rain, but. Uh, rain, you know, weather, <laughs> something like that. Uh, the second one I pick up on was loneliness for entrepreneurship. I mean, obviously, you've got the perspective of being a, a, a solopreneur. So w- do you feel that having a co-founder, you'd have approached everything differently? Or? Well, this is interesting because you, you started with a co-founder, didn't you? Yeah, yeah, I did. Um, but they didn't quite work out for us because we were two quite similar people. Um, and I feel mm. that's definitely something I've learned is that if you want to have a co-founder you either have to be quite opposite-minded people like have a technical and a creative uh, or have really defined roles so really understand what you're doing in the business every day and how it differs from the other person and also bring in obviously like having a shared passion for the same thing which is hard when one person comes up with it and asks the other person rather than them both sort mm. of theorizing together so that's a big part of that but in terms of the loneliness from it yeah, I mean, it's definitely lonely, man. Like, the hardest things are when you get a big win and I can't celebrate it with anyone. Um, or I, I, can, I can reach out to people. Literally, even last Friday, I called up, like, four or five people. But it's never the same as it would be if you had a co-founder, I guess. Um, because, like, maybe going out, out for beers afterwards, like, oh, yeah, man, I had a great day. Like, that was yeah, so the kind of social um, aspect. For me, it's like, okay, yeah, that feels awesome. But... No one really understand that. I think um, it's part of my experience from this year. I don't want to, like, my, I, I love the people I'm living with. Um, it's a great house. But none of them really get entrepreneurship in the same way that I do. Um, mm. And they can't ever relate. Like, I went into the kitchen the other day and was like, hey, like, look, I had this uh, great success that we went in and it was a really awesome interview. And they were like, oh, cool. That's what someone to be able to relate to. And I think that's a hard part of it as well. It's surprising to me that the first thing that comes to mind when you talk about loneliness is not being able to share the wins because that's that's a really a period when you have positive emotion and I think most people would think the loneliness from entrepreneurship strikes when you're in the tough times and you're trying to you're trying to succeed mm, yeah, that's a good point. but you're doing it alone mm. I thought that's where you'd want someone by your side but you're saying really what's what affects you the most is not being able to share when you've done something well yeah i mean i think there's there's both sides to this there's like you said the negative side as well uh, it might be because i'm having a recency effect where that's the most recent thing that's happened but it's probably also that on the downs i feel like i'm quite a self-aware person and i realized when i was on a massive down and that helped me to reach out to people and really yeah. look for advice and direction and guidance. And I think that was really key to solving my own problem there and solving my own kind of issues with that. But when you do it with the win, you can't really solve it because it is reliant on other people 
having that kind of same enthusiasm for your business they never really will have yeah and that's not because they don't care that is like you say they just can't relate they haven't put the sweat into it the tears they haven't yeah, yeah, yeah. I I'd want to pick up on the reading often. You said that's an activity you do mm. do a lot. Is that is that for benefit of your business in terms of educational books, or is that more of a downtime sort of thing? It's been both. Um, it's been a way of me learning how to take the next steps in the business and how to do certain activities like PR like launching your product, like product development, all these kind of different areas that I had no idea about before. Like reading, I find, is a really good way of getting you that kind of baseline knowledge that you can then go and look into more online. And it's also a way of relaxing. Say, I like reading my history books. I like reading um, my like politics and economics books, as well as um, my fiction books as well. But it's twofold. And... For me, it's a good way of learning for your business, but it's also a great way of relaxing and having time out as well. Top three books you read last year? It's been quite a few, actually. I think I read like 15 to 20 books last year. So um, the, one, wow. the one I'm currently reading on uh, Why Nations Fail is super good. And the other one, oh, dare I say, I can't remember the name right now. It's on addiction. Um I'll try and think of it throughout this interview. Um, but that was super awesome as well. Um, and that talked a lot about the sort of psychological, the behavioral and the kind of chemical addiction and how it all kind of comes together for different parts of it. And a really interesting story with, with that was when they went into, um, say, like a long jumper and they brought in like the exercise addiction. And he, I think it was at the 1984 Olympics, he went and just got through on the semi-finals, but in the finals, he went and set a massive world record that I think was only beaten in the late 2000s. And for him, once he'd beaten that, that record, he just quit the sport because he'd done all he could and he worked so hard for that huge achievement and then was like, oh, I've hit the pinnacle. There's no way I can That's go. That's it, like one. Yeah. And it was a lot about um, talking about learning, loving the process rather than just the result. And I think that's a really kind of key example there. Of if you don't necessarily love what you do, but you, you're sort of loving the outcome of it, then if you hit that outcome, what's next? Especially when you hit a world record that seems unbeatable. Something that huge, yeah. I mean, that's a similar thing to uh, what happened to Tyson Fury. So he, he sort of beat uh, Klitschko, I think it was, top of the world, everyone's admiring him, and then he just went into bout of depression basically he, he achieved what everyone saw as the greatest thing in boxing mm. and yet to him he was he, he was still had this depression that that was it you know he he didn't feel amazing he'd done it but it stopped so yeah yeah that's pretty true any more words to pick up on Ryan? yeah so i'm gonna kind of use these to segue into the next section but obviously wasn't a plant so we got lego and denmark and exercise every day so kind of talking about your time in Denmark and um, we kind of picked up about exercise and routine earlier but we'll segue that into running as well so your time in Denmark talk a little bit a little bit about that people don't know um so I went to Denmark for my second half of my second year and that was from the end of January until the end of June so it's like a good five to six months and that mm. was really kind of 
awesome experience to do because again going out there you're putting yourself with people you do not know it's like starting university all over again because friends out there you have no nothing so it's setting foot in uncharted territory and that was quite an awesome experience to have to remake friends and sort of find out who you relate to out there and also within an international context so kind of having to force yourself to make friends with more international people like one of my best friends out there was um, Romanian and that was really awesome to kind of understand about his culture and understand about uh, the Danish people as well and it also the biggest thing I learned was how it felt to be an outsider and especially mm. when uh, in a country like Denmark they speak perfect English but for me say in like a kitchen experience you wouldn't want them to go out of their way to speak your language and I always felt that I was like mm, I don't really want you to speak English to me unless you have to because um, you're in your country you shouldn't have to do that um, so you want to make that effort yeah you should have to make that effort but that also kind of isolated yourself a little bit because there'd be some conversations that were in quite technical Danish that I had no idea about. I learned a little bit when I was out there, but not enough to have like a technical conversation. So that sometimes, say if you're just walking into the kitchen and you're with three or four Danes and you're the only like native English speaker, it's a really weird thing. Like, should they switch language to involve you or should they continue speaking yeah, in, in Danish? Uh, Conundrum. Yeah, and in that kind of like social context, it's... Uh, quite yeah quite a unique thing to experience as well amazing okay and then finally we said exercise you, your response was every day so you run every day you're quite competitive aren't you talk a bit about that i've been racing today yeah so i've been racing today actually i um just came back from intercounties i might give a hint on what they just recorded that <laughs> but uh <laughs> for me yeah it's been definitely something i pursued quite heavily in this last year as i've had a bit more time um, doing this year enterprise and a bit more flexibility. I fit a, a lot around my schedule. The current program I'm following um, requires me, I say, I say require, but um, it allows me to have um, like 10 to 12 runs a week. And that adds up to about 100 to 120K, uh, which is quite a lot, I guess, for the normal person. Um, but it depends a lot in what you're training for and how you're training. A lot of this has been um mitochondrial training so it's getting the organelles of your cells um to like really improve and get their uh, mitochondria producing so that means you're way more efficient when you're running and it brings more efficient it breaks yeah. down your heart rate a lot as well so um right now i have a resting heart rate of about 40 which is really weird um wow. so it kind of means that you're a lot more relaxed as well it's a really good way of sort of chilling out and you sit there and you're like well okay i feel really relaxed you look at your heart rate's like 38 you're like okay it's pretty weird. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's really impressive. That's wow. part of your life. Um, say for me, it was going from five runs to six to seven. Like that was pretty difficult to make it every day. And then when you go from seven to eight to nine to 10 and doing the double days, that's like doing it again and make it even tougher. But once you get, once you do the thing in the first week, the next week it becomes so much easier to do it again. And the building that routine and sort of slowly building it up makes it a lot easier than sort of jumping in on the deep end. Yeah, so picking up on that, for me, like if you said to me, all right, we're going to get up at 5 a.m., 6 a.m. tomorrow, we're going to go for a run for an hour. I'd be like, nah, get out of town, mate. I, I would not be down for that. But then when when I'm hearing you talking about the benefits, actually 
that's great. So how can I kind of get that intrinsic motivation? And I know a lot of people are in the same position to kind of just go for a run. It's easy. It's free. And it's good exercise. I mean, start small. Like you just said there, you scared yourself really out of it. You said an hour. That's probably mm. way too much for someone who's not running uh, consistently. You want to just start with five, ten minutes. Just go out there, like enjoy it. And just kind of don't force yourself into finding a pace. Like when I'm doing my morning runs, it's only 20 to 30 minutes. Like I'm not going out and doing like an hour and a half or anything. Um, yeah. You want to keep the morning runs easy because for me, not a big morning person. I find it quite difficult to do the morning runs. Um, so it's a lot easier if you go and do the smaller ones there and then do the bigger ones on like the evenings or the weekends. And also go and check out like um, read a lot online. You download that um, Couch to 5K app. That's super oh, good. That's it. Yeah, that's popular. That. Yeah, yeah. It's a super good mm, way of, of getting that. started. And then end it perhaps with a park run. Park runs are a great way of finding like-minded people. And they're always involving like awesome people who are going out and volunteering every week and they do it for free and it is for free for you as well you have to have to pay anything you just need to go online get a barcode and rock up so it's a super awesome event and yeah it's basically any ability as well there's people more top end like myself who go and run it but there's also people like 40 minutes and it's absolutely awesome to see people like beat their pb every week and just improve mm-hmm. so yeah so in running it is as well as a physical thing, it really is a numbers game. Like that's what you're so focused on the numbers. Um, and that must at times be a bit, it could get disheartening if you know, if you're not hitting those numbers and stuff, which I guess where the, going back to what you said earlier, you have to love the process. You can't just be aiming for these as fun as they are, the PBs and the competitions um, to be doing 80, 120 K a week. You must, you know, really love getting your running shoes on to be doing that. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a love-hate relationship sometimes. Like, there's sometimes where maybe you've done a big session the night before and you're like, oh, I don't want to get out and do it tomorrow. But there's other days where it's, it's a beautiful summer's day and you're going out and running around this lovely countryside and it feels awesome to do with people. Like, you'll have tough days, you'll have good days. If you want to be, like, a true athlete doing it, then you have to go out in the tough days. Um, but if you're just starting out and you just want to enjoy it, like, just go out when it's nice. Like, go and enjoy it. Perhaps start in the summer when it's a bit easier rather than in the winter when it's very depressing. Um, but for me, yeah, you have to enjoy the process and you have to have that goal mentality of, I want to hit this time. But you also have to kind of be able to enjoy the short stuff. So a lot of when I run is I turn, I don't look at the speed at which I'm running. I always just leave it on the watch, uh, on the time segment. Um, because for me, if you're doing like an easy run, it should be easy. It should be what feels easy rather than hitting this certain time that you should be going for. Uh, I think that's really, really important psychologically. Uh, that's a big discussion within like the running community of like, oh, should people be using uh, these watches all the time or should they be running without them? And for me as well, if you go out and just run without a watch on, admittedly, I haven't done it for a while, but that feels super awesome because you're focusing on like the places around you and the whole experience rather than looking down your watch and the time every now and again. And you, you said those park runs were a good way to, you know, meet, meet other people and stuff. One of the, one of the points you said to me earlier is that at the moment you are doing most majority of your training alone. How, how does that differ in terms of training by yourself and going out running on your own in opposed to having a partner to motivate you as well? Mm, so, yeah, I, the next step from a park run would be to join a club. Um, and I recommend this to anybody who wants to improve their running because 
running with people is really awesome. It's a really good way of um, going out and doing things and sort of pushing yourself a little bit and doing that extra bit more in the sessions because people will always make you go faster. Uh, and in terms of myself, why am I alone running? Um, I'm doing it mostly because it's what the training program requires. It doesn't really match up with what the Loughborough guys are doing uh, at the um, students club. Um, and for me, it allows me that flexibility to fit it around my work and my other things that I can go out and do it in my own time. I do try and go along. Um, I'll always do the Sunday long runs with the club because they're always quite tough by yourself, like going out and doing 20, uh, 25K. It's a lot easier to do that with people. But in terms of everything else in the week, I'll do it by myself. I don't necessarily recommend doing it by myself. I'd say do it with people. And I will do it with people as soon as I finish this kind of training program. But I think this training program is really needed for me because I wasn't at the same fitness level as the other people. And on the um, psychological factor of running, when you're in a competition, people behind you, people in front of you, what's going through your head to really push yourself? When that lactic acid is building, people are overtaking you, people are falling behind. What you know? What gets you going to really push, dig deep, and and try and beat those times and people? Mm, so it's quite, it's quite a few things here. Um, part of it is, like you said, it's a numbers game. So. If you break down a run, you're like, okay, let's get to a third of the way through. Let's get to like a half of the way through. And if you go in sort of fractions or decimals, it makes it a bit easier for me. Um, I always find, especially if I'm in training and I'm doing reps and I have to say do 20, 400 meter reps, then every time I think one ahead, I'm like, after this rep, I've got that many left. And that really helps me. And I always think in races, particularly say today, I would think after this hill or after this corner, or after this uh, this section here, I've got that much left. And that kind of contextualization of it all really helps. Mm -hmm. um, it kind of helps you deal with it and helps you manage uh, the whole race in itself. And also, if you're doing, say, cross country, where it's not time dependent, you're looking at the person in front of you and being like, okay, let's take them, and then let's get in front of them, in front of the next one, where's the next one, where's the next one? But if you're doing it for like a time, say you're a road race and you want to hit I don't know, a target of mine is 34 minutes. Hopefully I'll do that in two weeks' time. That is very much like a numbers game. You're looking at your watch. Um, you're kind of working with people around you, but it's also quite important to kind of move up along the groups if you feel like you're slowing down. Um, so kind of summarize, work with people in your race because they're going to push you to be faster than you can be by yourself. Uh, but also if you're doing it for a time, make sure you do bear in mind the time because that's what you're aiming for. Yeah, and I think that that breaking the breaking the race down into segments in your head is a beautiful analogy for any trying to achieve any task in life because mm -hmm. it's the same with anything. Like if you if you say I want to get this uh, my coursework done, and you're and in your you're lying in bed and you think I can't, I can't be asked to do my coursework. It's you know it's going to take me eight hours or whatever. But if you break it down into right, I'll get the introduction done today. I'll uh, do some research today, like. Breaking it down into segments. Yeah, always helps breaking things down. More achievable mm. than one massive goal. Yeah, I think that combined with just starting mm -hmm. is really, really important. Like, if you get out your Word document and you start typing something, it's way more effective than like planning it for an hour. Yeah, I remember you said to me the hardest part of going for a run is putting the shoes on. Yeah, because as soon as you put the shoes on and you've got changed, you're committed. Yeah, yeah. There's like, there's, there's no way I'm getting unchanged once I've been changed. Exactly. No, that's great. And so one of the big things that happened before 
you know, before your success in running now is you, you had this breakdown a couple of years ago, um, which has led to you avoiding caffeine and stimulants, basically. What, how did that come about and, and why has it led to such a dramatic change in your diet? I guess about 14 months ago, um, I collapsed at a running race, a cross-country race in Shropshire. It's like a 12k race. It was about 300 metres from the end. I was doing quite all right, to be fair, as well. And I was one moment up, the next moment just collapsed. And literally, the only thing I remember after that is having these 10 people surrounding me and me just like throwing up everywhere um, for the entire evening. Um, my heart rate stayed at like 180, 200, um, and it only really came down like as the evening progressed. I stayed in hostel for like 13 days. That's, that always sounds like quite impressive. Um, but I guess that was mostly down to like inefficiencies at that time because it was during winter of like NHS. Um, but for me, from that experience, I'm all kind of clear now as a such. There's no kind of diagnosis. Uh, which almost makes it worse in some ways, um, especially from that period after January, where whereby I was getting back into my running. I was still getting pain in my chest and my neck. And that was quite hard because I felt like, what is this? Uh, you have not diagnosed me with anything. Um, you're kind of holding back from running, but you don't know the answer to it. Um, so that's really tough. And for me, I was trying to find out and self-diagnose by cutting out certain elements of my diet. And it was only in Denmark when I was training out there uh, last year that I found out that caffeine really influences me. So it was during the exam period. And I was like, okay, I'll just have a cup of coffee. I don't normally drink coffee anyway. And then during this like training session, it was quite an intense one with quite short breaks as well. Afterwards, I had to do a line of grass for like half an hour because my heart rate was so high and I really felt I was gonna faint. And it was after that where I was like, okay, there's what have I been doing this week? Caffeine. Okay, I just cut that out. And from then, really, I sometimes get it if I'm getting back into training after not doing it for a while. But apart from that, I have not had any chest pain since then. That's just me touching wood. But um, that has been quite a cool thing to have sort of self-diagnose and help myself out with. Um, and I guess given caffeine is a stimulant, I extend it to all other stimulants. So... Um, more broadly, I guess I don't drink um, protein shakes or things like that because for me, I find that it probably fits in the same category as uh, a caffeine. Also, though, like I think people listening will be thinking, is this a question of you pushing yourself too hard? Mm. Did you think about that? And was you, when returning to running, was you worried about pushing yourself hard in case something like that happens again? Mm. That's a good question. I think. Um, could have been something to do with that as well. It could have been me, like sort of, I was at the moment coming up to like the final straight, so I was kind of getting into like sprint mode, part of it as well. But I do not fear running. I do not fear pushing myself because for me, if I'm doing what I enjoy in life, then that's really me living. And without me doing that, then I can't really live the life I want to. Okay, so going forward, um, last section now, I'm going to take a few questions from listeners and Josh has got a Reddit uh, question for you as well. And then we also have 
a question that's left from Ash, who was our last guest, and then we'll ask you to leave a question for the next guest. I'll kick it off with a question from Grace. I've got, hey, Charlie, what's your favourite quote? Do you have a motto that you live by? (laughs) Um, I can't say I have one motto. I think what's throwing around our house at the moment is uh, this one sticks in my head when I get out and think about when I'm going to do a run, which is uh, get it done, no excuses. Um, <laughs> and that's only in my head yeah. recently. And that's just because um, my housemate's been like joking about it. Uh, but in terms of like a wider motto, um, I think just find something, find your passion and explore for what that is for as long as you need. But as soon as you have it, like hone down on it and really become like one of the best at it. Like don't be afraid to need yourself and really find yeah. what part of that is really good to you. That's not really a motto, right. but that's just something I follow. Yeah. No, it's a fantastic phrase to live by. I mean, a lot of people talk about being very broad in terms of early days, like kind of our age, 20s, be very, very broad and then narrow down later on. But it's interesting that you've got that perspective of actually, well, you've got to find your passion. And once you've found it, you can go as deep down that route, route, route as you want. Yeah, I think that's definitely, definitely true. And then Josh, do you want to do the Reddit question? Question here from Reddit Self-Improvement Forum from a user called iMac93. And they've asked, how can I be happy with my current life and be patient about my future? So for me, I think a big part of this question is short-term versus long-term. And... I feel that you have to have, like we said before, the process and the goals. The goals play into your long-term mindset and you have to have the shorter goals to be able to have the patience to go and achieve them. So say if I set myself a time in running, I have to have the races before to get the confidence to feel like I can do that, that race and get that time. But in terms of being content with where you are, I feel like this is something I've definitely explored in this last year as well. It's something which is pretty key. I feel like you need to both enjoy the now, like he's saying here, but also be able to have some long-term goals that you want to pursue by doing the 30 minutes or the hour thing you do every day that works towards that goal as well. Okay. Okay. Thanks. Great. That was a difficult question. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So now a question from Ashley Ponder from Ashley's guest last week. What's the biggest challenge that you see yourself overcoming in the next five years? And where do you think that that will take you? In the next five years, it's a big time period. Mm. Um, I can't say I think in five years right now, uh, but I'll try and answer this. The biggest challenge that I'll face in five years. It's a tough one because there's quite a lot of different challenges that you could face. Say, For me, once you get to the end of university, deciding on the path from there is quite, I'd say, a challenge in that there's a lot to weigh up. There's a lot of different options that I'd love to do and kind of finding out what's the best path and what I can, like I said before, really niche into would be really awesome to do. I'm sort of still discovering this right now. But yeah, I think the biggest challenge that I'll face is for one, finding out what path that will be um, in the last year of university. And for two, kind of going down and pursuing that path without having the regrets of not doing the other ones. And how do you see yourself overcoming that, making that decision? I think 
I've already started, this is what I always do, I've already started a, a document on my Google Drive that has all the options listed. Um, and I've kind of added all the advantages and disadvantages to each one. Oh, yeah, that's good. Like that. Very thorough. Yeah, yeah, yeah. very classic. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, that's a really good way of helping you to understand the different kind of options that you have and how useful they are to you. And this is what you did when you were making the decision about placement versus enterprise, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah. I remember you telling me about that, yeah. Yeah, it's pretty much, it was the one thing that swayed me um, in terms of the year enterprise over the placement. Sorry to throw back to the previous point. Um, it's really that I could get a part-time job as well, where I could get the experience of working for someone while also having the experience of working myself in the same year. And um, that was pretty awesome. Okay, great. Well, good luck with that challenge. It's something all three of us are going to have to face. Yeah. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> okay. No, so what question would you like to leave? Have you got anything that you want to find out from our next inspirational guest that we're going to have on? What question have you got for them? It's something that I'm thinking in terms of self-awareness here. Um, do you have one point in your life that you've experienced that helps has helped you or an experience in your life that's helped you become self-aware and what is it it's like one defining moment it doesn't have to that be links like to some self-awareness five like. minutes or ten minutes but it can be like a a wider experience of something that's really helped you have mm. that self-awareness look forward to hearing the answer to that next time yeah well thank you very much for joining us charlie really yeah. enjoyed it yeah, thanks for coming in, Charlie. Good to speak to you. Good to catch yeah, up. Cheers, guys. Thanks for having me as well. Well, that's it for another episode of the 2% Podcast. Thanks so much for tuning in. We hope you enjoyed listening as much as we enjoyed recording. If you or someone you know has a story to tell, we'd love to hear from you, so please get in touch. Also, we're developing too, so if you liked the episode, give us some love on social to support the series. And if you didn't, let us know how to improve. Stay motivated, follow your dreams, and as always, do it with a smile.